Welcome back to the podcast. We're taking some time to look at the letter of 1 Timothy over the next few months. This letter reminds us what the church is meant to be, so I hope you find it helpful. One Timothy chapter two says this. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. We're back in 1 Timothy this evening, thinking about how to be God's household in this world. Now, since Paul's day, uh, there have been many more churches planted, haven't there? You might think that Paul's dream is being realised. And even if we take into account that not all churches teach the Bible, there are still many that do, aren't there? So is that job done? Can I close 1 Timothy and just leave it behind? Can we close 1 Timothy this evening and just carry on as is? Hold your horses, Paul says. There is more to being a church than simply teaching the Bible. In fact, how you behave matters too. Why should we care about how a church behaves? Well, the answer this evening we want to see is that their actions display God's plan for the world. Our actions display God's plan for the world. See, as we are God's household people, people look at us. And what's going on with us shows something about the one God who we belong to. I mean, we see that in life, don't we? When you see the child who has the polished shoes, uh, the tidy hair, you assume their home life is probably well-ordered. You look at their household member And you assume things about the rest of the household. Well, so it is with God's household here. Do you remember last time the false teachers have been separating the church? They've been drawing dividing lines between the church. But Paul says the true gospel unites the church. It forms God's household. And so Paul turns this evening to talk about how to set things right again. Or to use the language of 1 Timothy 1 verse 18. How to... Fight the battle well. Now, as I read it, you probably noticed there are many things in this passage that we could spend a long time on here. I've deliberately taken the whole chapter in one go, though, 
so we can see the wood from the trees. Hopefully that will be useful. You can tell me afterwards if you disagree. But the first thing that the church should be doing is praying. You can see that in verses 1 to 7. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. So here comes the battle strategy. Paul's going to lay this out for us. First of all, Paul says, first steps. What is the basic part of a right-ordered, self-controlled church? Well, it's praying. It's the prayer meeting. But praying about what? That's quite important, isn't it? Well, Paul writes a long argument here, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So pray for all people, Paul says. It's quite simple, isn't it? And as we scan through verses 1 to 7, you can see the phrase, all people, comes up throughout. Paul's explaining what he means by that. In fact, it might be easier for us to work backwards this evening to see how this works. So have a look at verses 5 and 6. Here's the truth. Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all people. That is evidence for verses 3 and 4. What do verses 3 and 4 say? Well, God, our Saviour, wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So God wants all people to be saved. So Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all people. Therefore, verse 1, pray for all people. I mean, the logic hangs together, doesn't it? Pray for all people, no matter where they are in society, whether they're kings, those in authority. Pray for all people without distinction, no matter who they are. Focus yourself in prayer for the world out there. And the goal of that is there in verse 2, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. I mean, that sounds quite nice, doesn't it? Sounds relaxing and quiet to me. Maybe that's just the dad of uh, two little girls speaking. It's more than that, though, okay? Peaceful, quiet lives and all godliness and holiness are ideas that come up in the prophets. For instance, Isaiah says this. We've been in Isaiah recently, haven't we? All your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. Isaiah 54 is also a chapter that talks about God being the God of the entire world. And it's also a chapter that talks about husbands and wives, which you may know will come up in a moment. You see, those things there in 1 Timothy, they're not just a restful Sunday afternoon without kids. No, those things are God's plan for the world. These things are what God wants in a restoration of his creation. In fact, those things are things that happen in a place where God can look and it is good. As verse 3 says, this is good and pleases God our Saviour. So you see, as the church refocuses on the world out there, praying for all sorts of people to be saved, God is pleased. It displays God's plan for the world. 
See, what a church does really shows what it thinks is important, doesn't it? That's why we want to pray as a church. So this evening, if we're going to listen to 1 Timothy, let's make sure we pray for all sorts of people. Let's make sure we pray for kings, for those in authority, for neighbours, for friends. We'll do that as part of this evening. But if the plan for God's household is to reach the world out there, that's going to have other implications. Do you see the therefore in verse 8? Therefore, Paul says, so this is connected to what he's just said. Verse 8, therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Remember, Paul is just called Christians to live peaceful and quiet lives. He wants that to be the case everywhere, as God intended in creation. He wants the church to be outward focused, and therefore he turns to men everywhere, calling them to pray. But there are two issues at the end of that verse, two issues that might stop that from happening. What are they? Well, anger and disputing. If God's household is on display, well, it matters how they behave. And what's going to call into question whether God's household works, what's going to cause people to ask whether God's gospel really does restore creation? Well, it's men angry and disputing. To have men seeking superiority, that's what anger and disputes are about, isn't it? Anger and disputes are there to be the one in charge. To be angry and dispute in the church is the opposite of what a church should be. To be angry and dispute is to be inward focused. It's the opposite of what Paul's calling the church to be, isn't it? It's the opposite of being outward focused. As I put others down, as I try to be on top, I care more about the inside than the outside. Instead of being peaceful and quiet, living out God's uh, restored love of neighbour, love of God, well, that will look like using those hands to pray, unclenching those fists and putting them back together instead. A church that is infighting doesn't display God's plan for the world. In fact, it looks like the world around it. A household at each other's necks, it doesn't look good to the world, does it? It certainly doesn't look like the end goal of love, does it? And the church that's fighting in-house, it's not going to reach the world out there. It's not going to be pleasing to God. God cannot look at it and say, it is good. It's the opposite of the creation blueprint. In fact, that's exactly what happens after the fall, isn't it? Genesis 4, men striking men, brother killing brother. That's the fallen world. That's the opposite of what God wants. So men, this evening... How well are we doing at this? Let's pray tonight that we would be men who pray, who care about the outside world more than our position in here. And last but not least, Paul turns to the women. Verse 9. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. 
There's a lot of ink spilled over these verses, aren't there? But hopefully, we can see how this section fits into the arguments. Paul wants us to connect what he's saying here again to the bit at the beginning. He says, I also want, or more explicitly, he actually says, likewise. So he's making the same point again. What is going to stop the gospel going out? What's going to not display God's household plan to the world? Well, like the men, there are two issues here. Two issues that can stop a church from being outward focused. Two issues that result in inward attention. What are they here? Adornment and learning. And again, it it appears to be connected with seeking position, which Paul's answer again is going to be, be self-controlled, be peaceful, be quiet. Having propriety, whatever the NIV means by that. I mean, that's a confusing word, isn't it? Basically means self-control, being self-controlled. You see it in verse 9, and you see it again at the end in verse 15. So firstly, what's Paul saying? First of all, Paul calls the women to dress modestly. Now, this isn't saying that only certain clothes count. This doesn't mean you have to wear a long skirt to church. No, this isn't saying any of that. Instead, it's contrasting with verse 10. It appears that the issue here in this church in Ephesus is women seeking position by wearing elaborate clothing. I mean, we know that today, don't we? They say dress to impress or dress for the job that you want. But Paul says here that status comes from worshipping God. Rather than focusing on the inside, he wants the church to be focused outside, remember? So instead of climbing over each other internally, in this case by outdoing each other with jewellery and possessions, Paul wants them to focus on all people being saved to focus on the outside world. And then in verses 11 to 15, he addresses learning. Now, hopefully some of the abuses of these verses have already been dismissed by what we've said. For starters, quiet is the same quiet as verse two. Do you see that? The benefit of doing the whole chapter at once. It doesn't mean silent. Let me just point that out. Paul here calls women to learn. Now, it's likely that there were Uh, well-educated women in the church of Paul's day. You see, it's not that women weren't well-taught. In fact, it's quite likely that some of the women knew more than the men, which is important where we get to in chapter three. To learn quietly is to be self-controlled in learning. It's the same idea I've said before as earlier in the chapter, in chapter, in verse two. It is what is appropriate for women who profess to worship God, verse 10. And the explanation for how this all works comes in verses 13 to 15. And hopefully, at this point, you're not surprised that Paul has gone there. He's been hinting at this all the way through the chapter. He takes us back to creation. He takes us back to the very first household, the household that God himself set up, the template. He takes us back to Adam and Eve. And therefore, we need to think Genesis 1 and 2 to make sense of Paul's arguments, because Paul's going to speak specifically about Adam and Eve. And we need to keep that specificity in mind here. So let's let's walk through this logic, shall we? Firstly, verse 13. God created Adam before he created Eve. I mean, that's simple enough, right? In Genesis chapter 2, the man was made first. Adam heard God's command, be fruitful and multiply. And he heard God say, don't eat from the fruit of the tree. That all happened before Eve arrived on the scene. What happens next? Well, we know this from our Pentateuch studies, don't we? Adam couldn't do it alone. It's not good that man is alone. So what did God do? Well, God split the Adam. He made Eve. 
But then Genesis chapter 3, Eve encountered the serpent and was deceived. See, we're still specifically on Adam and Eve here. Eve was deceived by the serpent and the order was flipped in its head. The serpent was listened to instead of God. The serpent called the shots instead of God. And the gospel is the solution to that. See, the gospel is there to put God's order back in place, to put things the right way up again, to deal with sin, to reform God's household. But hang on a minute, what about verse 15? That's a weird one, isn't it? Well, throughout 1 Timothy, Paul makes the assumption that he is speaking to husbands and wives. He uses the language for husbands and wives we go through. And that makes sense, really, doesn't it? If we're talking about households, that is generally what forms a household, isn't it? That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. So Paul uses the words for husbands and wives here. This is a common thing at the time. And when we get to verse 15, Paul can talk about the very thing that makes women women. He can say childbearing. Now, he is not saying women are saved by having kids. In fact, if you look really carefully, he seems to still be talking about Eve here. Have a look at the little footnote C down there in the bottom corner. It's a singular word. It's she. So for Eve to be saved, to be trusting God's wisdom, will it look like her childbearing? That's how she showed that she was trusting God's promise. To spread God's glory to the rest of the world, what did that look like? It looked like populating the rest of the world. That's quite simple from Genesis, isn't it? And so Paul then can go from there, the small example, to the plural, to talk about they, verse 15. Talking to all women, he basically says, live out the life of a Christian woman. What does that look like? It looks like faith, love, holiness, and propriety, that word again, self-control. So if God's household is truly displaying God's plan for the world, God's household is going to look like Genesis 1 and 2. There in Genesis 1 and 2, it looked like the husband Adam leading, not in a domineering way, but leading his wife Eve. What went wrong was when Adam didn't do his job and the serpent turned the pattern upside down. So that contentious verse, verse 12, if we reflect creation order, it looks like women learning. It would be inappropriate in light of God's design to switch that around. In fact, to do that would be to say that God's creation plan was not good. Instead, putting on display God's plan for the world, reflecting God's original intention in his household, in his new household, the church. We're going to see what more of what that looks like actually in church next time. But I hope that has helped to clear up some of Paul's argument here. I'm sure there are lots more questions. There's so much more to say about that. If you do have questions, feel free to grab me afterwards or maybe speak to Sam. But the big point this evening, God's household puts God's plan on display to the world. So what does Paul want Timothy to do with the Ephesians? What does Paul want us to do here at Christchurch Hemel? Well, back in Eden, the plan was to focus on the out there by spreading God's glory over the whole earth. It was never the plan, was it, to stay in the garden? It wasn't the gardens of paradise and the world out there is horrible. It was to spread Eden around the world. And how was that done? It was done by man and woman working together as God's household. Through the gospel, Jesus has dealt with the fall. And so his household, the church, is picking up that project again. And they do that by not looking inward, but focusing on the outward to 
Fight the battle well, as Paul says here. That looks like doing everything we can so that people are saved. All sorts of people. And to do that without striving for position, but living out God's model order in his household, the church. That shows God's plan to the rest of the world. So what does that do for us tonight? Well, God desires all people to be saved, all sorts of people to be saved. So do you know all sorts of people? Do you know a a queen? Do you know a boss? Do you know friends? Do you know neighbours? Well, good. Paul says, pray for them. Pray that they'll be saved. Pray that they will live peaceful and quiet lives in light of being saved. Pray they'd be saved, which is good, and pleases God our Saviour. Pray they'd come to a knowledge of the truth. And live out the reality of what God has done. That's going to look different for each and every one of us. But God has done what is needed to save all people through the man Christ Jesus. He has put things right way up again. And he has formed his household to display his plan to the world. Like looking at one child and seeing what the rest of the household is like. God has put us, God has put you into this world to show the world what his household looks like. There's a lot of stuff there, isn't there? A lot of things we can pray some things that are quite hard to put into practice, some things that are countercultural, you could say. Well, the only way we're going to manage to do that, to be God's household in this world, is to spend time praying and asking for help. Well, thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope it was helpful. Any comments or questions can be sent to the podcast email, podcast at david-couch.com. And I'll see you next week.